This is your football life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And we're celebrating lives right across the nation. Thank you very much for joining us. And today, this is a thrill for me. What a lot of people won't know that although I'm well known at Richmond and uh, going out to Victoria Park and getting the living suitcase belted out of me, and that was just off the field, uh, I used to just idolise Collingwood with my mother. And our guest today is a Collingwood legend. There is no doubt about it. 180 games and 262 goals. A two-time Premiership player, but more importantly, the 1958 Premiership captain. He's a member of the Collingwood team of the century and a three-time Collingwood best and fairest, inducted just wonderfully into the Australian Football Hall of Fame in 2007. My special guest today on This Is Your Football Life, Murray Wiedemann. What a thrill to speak to you. Thanks, Rex. Great. It, it is great for me. Uh, you're 78 years of age. You've done it all. You sound wonderful. And we're going to reminisce a bit today. I need to know where the Wiedemann style started. Uh, you, 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 your time as a junior footballer, and I, I know you played for Victoria as a, as a young kid, so you must have been a fair player right from the start. Well, I think that's where it all started. I, I remember going down to Swan Street in 1948-49 and uh, 500 kids turned up to get in as a Victorian schoolboys team and uh, you only got a quarter and you had to get out on the ground there and try and get one kick or two kick or three kicks, which I got in that quarter, and then you, you were off and someone else took your jumper and then they picked, tw- finished up with 25 players in the team and... It was a great thrill. Stan Morecambe, I'm only talking about the blokes that went on and made, yep. made yep. Stan Morecambe, played with yes. Richmond, yep. and Herbie Matthews Jr. Wow. And myself. There was only three players of those 500 kids went on to make a league football. Isn't this amazing that, yeah. uh, you know, over the 12,000 men who have played the game at the highest level, as we speak today, the average amount of games is 32. So it is a high turnover business, Murray. It is. And when you think of it, and Rex, we're talking what we got paid was like pay, it was oh. peanut shells, what we but, got but paid But we all for. had full-time jobs, of course, <coughs> didn't we? Of course we did. We all yeah. worked and yeah. uh, you had another job, but... Uh, the money that we got out of it, you know, really it cost you. I had to pay my own petrol to get to the football grounds yeah, and all yeah. that. And then boots, I got a hope, pair of Hope Sweeney boots. Hope Sweeney, Sweeney I think yeah. he went on to uh, design boots for White Diamond and then for Addy Dazzler at Adidas. Yeah, and then... That's then, a great story. Yeah, and then he made all the top jockeys uh, riding boots. He did. He, he made my boots, so it cost £50 pound in those he, days. He was just a skillful tradesman and when you yeah. say 50 pounds for your boots in that day, I reckon my old man was getting 20 quid a week. So that was twice the uh, – that, that's $1,200 today. Yes, and, that, so and that, that's what you did. But you had the yeah. best boots. I Because yeah. we were supplied with a pair of arena boots. Yes. Uh, and they were like army boots. I had 13 oh. stops, and <laughs> seven in the front and three in the back. I had 10 and the stops. nails came through under your yeah, sole. Yeah, it stopped your, <laughs> stopped your foot, foot from slipping. Oh, terrific. Now, it wasn't all beer and Skittles for a start. In 52, as a 16-year-old, you got the uh, the big message from Victoria Park. Uh, Son, uh, go away. You're not good enough. And uh, my goodness me, didn't this spur you on to come back a year later? 
Yeah, I was a, a bit surprised. Yeah, I, I played in their practice games uh, as a, a full forward from Preston District Junior Football Association. I played with Ribley, and I was kicking, you know, six goals, eight goals, ten goals a game against the Swimmers and the Regent team, and Brassie was playing with the... the uh, scouts, that's right, yeah. him, him and Brian Perth. So I thought I'd performed pretty well, but anyhow, the, the list came out <laughs> and you're in the old seconds room in those days and I yeah. just said that my name wasn't on the board, so I went up to Jack Pym, who was the third coach in those days, and he said, uh, I just said, well, what do I do? And he said, look, we, we suggest you go back to Rivley and put another year in there. You're only about 12 stone and you're six foot one, half, six foot two. So I went back and played with the thirds. Then they rang my parents and they said, could we play again middle of the season? They invited mm. me back down in 52. So I played the last uh, six games with the thirds. They used to yeah. pick me up at three-quarter time from the Ribley game and then run me to Collingwood because they were, they, they were the, the team that played in the prelim before the yeah. senior games in those days. Yeah. And didn't it all fall into place in 53 when you went back to Victoria Park, uh, although you only played the four home and away games, but it was an amazing effort as a 17-year-old to break into such a good side. Uh, you're a member of the uh, premiership side that year. What yeah. a thrill it was for a young kid. Probably then, without putting words in your mouth, Murray Wiedemann, you probably didn't realise what you had achieved. No, you correct. See, I played two, two of the third games in that 53 season and I played 12 in the seconds and I did pretty well. I won the seconds best and fairest and then Jack Hamilton broke his arm playing down at Geelong and that's the only reason I got into the 53 team and then I played four games and then on the Thursday night before the grand final... Uh, Gordon Carline came to me and he said, there's your ticket to get into the ground. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is in 53 I'm talking now, to get into the uh, gr- the ga- ground. And, and then I, I had we had shops in Heidelberg Road Fairfield, my parents, so I said to mum and dad, there was no reserve seats in those days, you've got to get there early. And so they they went at about 12.30 and they got their little car out and off they went. And I said, <laughs> I'll shut the shop, I'll get my bike out and I'll ride it up to the Fairfield Railway Station oh, and get into Jollymont. And so I parked my bike at uh, the Fairfield Railway Station and then jumped on the train to Jollymont. And I'd never played at the MCG. I'd seen grand finals there, but I'd never played there. See, so I didn't know what gate to go to. And I went to just a gate, and the bloke on the gate said, no, no, he said, players go around the front <laughs> front gate round there. You, that's where You're- you get in there. You're putting the show on. It's around there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and I walked in the rooms, and big Jim Phelan was there. He's a big ex-copper. He's about six foot six. He was. He said, "Congratulations, Murray," and so on. So, yeah, so it was a big wonderful. thrill when you thought in your mind you wouldn't make it. Yeah. But I can remember that in the house on the Thursday night when Ron Casey came on and said the teams for on Saturday the Melbourne team, and then the Collingwood team, and the nineteenth and twentieth of George Hams and Murray Wooden. Well, the thing about it is, can, and that's how you found out. That's how I, I mean? found and, out. And even when I started in the late 60s, you found out by tuning to 3DB league teams on a uh, on a Thursday night with Bob, Lou and Jack, yeah. and you found out whether you're in the team. Now, they, they, you know, there's public blokes today finding out who they're going to play on next week. The 53 uh, era down there at Collingwood was amazing. Three of the greatest names in the club's history involved, and you were a 17-year-old rubbing shoulders. Lou Richards, Bob Rose, 
and the late Jock McHale, who uh, who unfortunately passed away late in 1953. But three huge Collingwood names, and you're you're there as a kid. That is correct. Um, when you think there was Lou and Ron Richards, Bob Rose, Bill Rose, and then the three termies, Pat, Bill, yeah. and, and Michael, it, it was a third of your team were brothers. Amazing. It was amazing when, you know, you think about that. And then uh, they hadn't won a premiership since 1936. That's correct. Yeah, 36. Yep. So there was 53, then became the 58. Now... You played particularly well right throughout the early part of your career. But let's now, uh, you know, fast forward through 55 and 56 where Melbourne defeated you in grand finals. Mm. And they were your real boogie team, weren't they? they? But they were a sensational, dominant team of their era. Yeah, they were, um, they were goals better than uh, Collingwood in those days. I can remember one day in the, in the grand final, I think it was 56, they beat us by something like 12 goals or something. Goodness me. Yeah, but they were a sensational team when you think they won it, what, 55, 56, 57, we beat them in 58, and then they yeah. won it 59 and 60 and 64. Let's Phenomenal. go to 58 because Frank Tuck unfortunately was injured and yeah. you just slotted in there for the captain. And uh, I need to know your mindset because I can recall, you know, watching it on television the last quarter on black and white television. And the thing about it is it was a real greasy day. It was the conditions were horrible. What was your mindset and, you believe, the mindset of your teammates before the game when you were just confronting such an opponent that had dominated you in the last decade? Yeah, it was very difficult. I, I sat in the back row sort of trying to sort my mind out. I, I always, on the morning of the game, I'd get up and go for a walk around the streets and bouncing the ball and, and, and then putting my brain... Uh, to say how we're going to either compete with them or, you know, try and beat them. And then when I let them out, some bloke in the race there had saved up a bucket of water and tipped over me. It just made me a little bit more wild. And as you probably know, Rex, once I crossed that white line, I was... You had the fever, mate. I was, you a, had, I was a different person. You I, had an epidemic. Yeah, I played to win. Well, and uh, I might have done a lot of wrong things in my, in my life, which some I do regret. Uh, but I was out there to win this game, and it was such a great thrill when you think you you had no hope. You know, it's true. I had no. We had no 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 hope of beating Melbourne that day. Folks, I, if you've folks, if you've just joined us, this is the voice of Murray Wiedemann, the great Murray Wiedemann, the Collingwood legend. And we're on air with the kindest regards of Tobin Brothers. And every year, hundreds of people take out a fixed-price funeral plan with Tobin Brothers Funerals. By doing that, they have peace of mind knowing that regardless of how long they live, the price they pay today is fixed forever. So why not celebrate your life with a fixed-price funeral plan from Tobin Brothers Funerals? And I tell you what, if I can get as much enjoyment out of uh, my life as I'm getting out of interviewing this man, I'll have done okay. Uh, Murray Weedham, and so you've got the mindset that, that you can't get over the top of Melbourne, uh, but you had a few things up your sleeve, and one of them was to combat the absolute dynamo, the heartbeat of Melbourne, Ronald Dale Barassi. Mm. Tell us about how you physically and mentally got into the great man. Um, I'd sort of, knowing he was the problem, our problem, uh, and I, I said uh, in the first quarter we we only kick one goal and they'd kick three goals something, and yeah. I said I turned around to Hooker and I said, look, Hooker, there's a hundred and something thousand people here today. Let's turn on something, 
And I said, Barass is our man. Uh, you think you can, you know, not take him out, but... We're talking about you, hook, Hooker you, Barry Harrison, Harrison, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Then I said, do you think you can put him un, under a bit of pressure? Well, yeah. he did accommodate uh, Ronald Dale <laughs> and uh, put him down. He had blood running everywhere. And the trainers run out to get the towel and rub the blood off his head. And yeah. He said, get away. He said, yeah. blood. He said, I'll show these buggers blood. Yeah. Oh, jeez. It, 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 it was it's a real gladiators thing, wasn't it? it? Was and I, and I think it might have been uh, one of the grand finals in that era where, where people were actually just sitting a couple of inches outside the boundary line and such was the actual domination of people wanting to get and watch the game. Yeah, it was, that was 56 when they yeah. crashed the gate down the outer and gate and yeah, they got and when all the, play, all the people yeah. had to sit inside the boundary line. And there were people sitting on the roof of the Great Southern Stand, yeah. but it was a great era. So, Barassi, so uh, Hooker's just decided to have a bit of afternoon tea with Barassi and you're, <laughs> you're a couple of goals down. When was the time you as the captain said to your troops uh, and Kine said... We've got a chance here, or we've got them. Three-quarter time, we were three goals in front, and I kind of got up, and he just said, now, the forwards have done their job. It's up to you defence players now, Mike Delante, uh, Kevin Rose, and the other one, I can't think of the other half-back flank. But he, they, the, the defence line, we had Harry Sullivan. He was a great player of yep. Collingwood, even though he came from Carlton. But Harry could... he. He was one of the best fullbacks in the game in those in that era, but it it just kind just sort of said now you you've got to hold on now because you had that advantage and we had as you said before Rex we had a bit of rain that had fallen and made the ball slippery and put them under a bit of pressure. Yeah. But at the five minute mark to go, I looked up at the Melbourne stand and the, all that was happening was the cigar smoke and going up in the air there, and I said <laughs> we've got these buggers, we've beaten them. Well, this is a gem for me. I don't want to put the icing on too much on the cake, but Murray Weedham has joined us, folks, and our relays now are going to take a break, and we'll be back after that break with This Is Your Football Life. You can check us out on Twitter at Rex Football Life. And it's my absolute pleasure that Murray Weedham today for Tobin Brothers Funerals is celebrating the life of a great legend, and we'll be back after this break. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. It's just great to have Murray Weedham and the Collingwood legend uh, on the couch, so to speak, today with This Is Your Football Life. Um, Now, after the 58, uh, we move into 59. And there was some nasty stuff with uh, some not very nice people when you received some anonymous threats via telephone and letters. Can you let our listeners know exactly what happened there and what your concerns were? Yeah, well, I, I had a lot of problems. No, I didn't have a lot of problems, but when you got uh, blokes shooting bullets through your shop windows and throwing, throwing bricks through your house windows on a Friday night, uh, you... you you got scared, and one bloke rang me on a Friday night. And it was very difficult. My, I told him I'm never letting anyone talk to me on a Friday night. Anyhow, uh-huh. this bloke convinced my mother to let me put Murray Wiedemann on the phone. He said, "Well, before you get to the Hawthorne game tomorrow, he said it'll be a bullet through you." 
goodness. Now, I, know, I know there's some idiots out there and all yeah. that, but you never know in this this world and yeah. when you think of what's happening today in America and the guns and all that sort of stuff. So anyhow, I got I got to Hawthorne and I didn't tell anybody. I, I never said a word to anybody and I went into the rooms and I went out and I started playing and then I, I was playing centre half forward and I was I wasn't playing well. So then Kine said, Look, I'll I'll put you out in the half forward flank. So he did that and then he said, Look, you haven't had a kick yet, we'll put you full forward. So I kicked six goals in the last quarter. Wow. And we got up and won the game saying so, I said, yeah. Now this bloke idiot's gonna do anything, he's gonna have a pop at me now. So I'm right in front of the, the race, see, and I thought that's the siren went and I ran into there into the race, straight up the race and then I I went to Gordon Carline and I said I've had a threat on my life. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the after the um, bullet through the shop windows in Heidelberg Road Fairfield, I had a police escort, which I knew nothing about, yeah. that took me into the Carlton game, out at Carlton there, and it was detective beside me, beside me, and one behind me. And I, I didn't even know. I just got into the race and uh, changed, and out I went. And so, so this is big stuff, but the, the press weren't in on this, were they? No, no. Yeah. They, no they kept this all quiet. And then yeah. that was the day I kicked two goals before the ball went back to the centre, Dennis, <laughs> Dennis Zionet. I kicked the goal, and the umpire hadn't given all clear. Yeah. And then Zionet flattened me, and I went down. And then... Uh, Har- um, Laurie Nash, the umpire, he just yeah. said, oh, he said, uh, free kick, another one. So I was sitting in the goal square, so I popped two goals through the ball. It would be ball. nice if they came that easy all the time, Murray. I thought, yeah, this is easy. Just keep popping this. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the thing about it is that, that, that it, it really did affect you because a lot of people, you know, I know just accept the fact that there's betting all over the place and there's advertisements, yeah. but back then... Uh, you know, two up was illegal. They ran the swai, and but there was some pretty heavy uh, fellas. Uh, you know, probably in the underworld stage, and uh, they might have been doing a little bit of betting on the side, and they didn't want the Karen Bush to win. Yeah, there was big bet. There was big betting on them. We lost the first six games in '59. I'm going by memory now, and then we won. We won the next eight or game straight, and then we got yeah. into the finals in '59, and. Collingwood had been uh, backed that much, and this is when all this problem started. And you know, at night you, you get into your bed, and then you, you say, "Now, what's going to happen tonight?" And then uh, a brick was went through the our plate glass windows at out at Ivanhoe, and I, and I like I thought it was a shotgun. I said, yeah. that, "That don't move. That is a shotgun." But anyhow, I got through it all. Had a great great time and. Of 59 and then 60 and then I retired at 63. I was only 27. I'd like to tell this story. Bobby Rose came to me. He he became the coach in 1964. And he came to me, met me in Johnson Street and he said, Murray, he said, would you play one more year? And I was only 27 and I said, yes, Bob, if they pay me. I I started on £10 a game in 53. 63, I was getting still £10 a game and an extra pound as captain. (laughs) And I said to Bobby, if they pay me £15 a game, I will stay and play another year. So Bob Bob went to the committee and the committee just said no. We yeah. only pay £10 a game, that's our tops, and we're not going over that. So I just sort of st- stood out of footy. That was it. Uh, 64, I went out. And wow. then I went on and played with Albury and West Adelaide, 
coached them for another 10 years. and then Very, very well you yeah. did. Murray Weenham is our special guest on Celebrating Football Lives, and this is your football life. Uh, goodness gracious me, as a kid, you know, on a Saturday night in the uh, uh, alternative Saturday nights, we either went to the velodrome to see, uh, you know, uh, Sid Patterson or Ruckle, Russell yeah. Mockridge, and then yeah. the next night we went to the House of Stouse to the Festival Hall, and I can remember names like... Dirty Dick Rains and Chief Little Wolf. And I can Exactly. I can remember a name, Murray Wiedemann. What on earth happened there for you to get into the ring? Well, they approached uh, Ray Gablik and uh, Carl Dietrich and that, and they said, we're looking for a name to try. Because re- wrestling had dropped to a very low level in those days. Yeah. They couldn't even get a crowd at the, at the stadium. So I did a bit of a workout, uh, Dick Rains taught me how to wrestle, uh, and I was a pretty good showman, and so I put on a, an effort, and um, I was getting a 100-pound a, a wrestle. And, and Collingwood weren't wrapped in that? No, nah, they said, we're going to sack you as captain. I said, I don't give a shit what you do. Exactly. I'll, you I'll, be, I'll be wrestling next Saturday night, and I was flying up to Sydney on Wednesday, yeah. and I was getting another 100-pound up there, and they're paying me 10 pounds. And you made your mark, Murray Wiedemann, too, because I believe there was uh, some f- uh, feelers went out uh, yeah. from the USA because Correct. they were big into the wrestling. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to get the bloke that uh, did the broadcasting here. Uh, Jack Little. Jack Little, thanks. Yep. Rex. He said, Murray said, you'll make a fortune if you go to America. Yeah. And I, I thought about it, and then I spoke to my wife, then Kay, and she said, you can go anywhere you want to see. So yeah. I said, I didn't go, but he, he, Jack Little said to me, he said, Murray, you, you'd, you'd make a fortune over there. Yeah. Uh, in 75, you returned to the Magpies as coach. Uh, it wasn't a great uh, era for you there. There was no. some fantastic players, but uh, Tommy Hafey took over and took virtually your side, you know, to all of those grand finals. Yeah. Where do you think uh, it went wrong in relation to you not being able to get the best out of those players? Or number one, this is a tough question, you reckon they wanted to play for you? Yeah, I don't think it was any problem. I got on pretty well with a lot of them. I'll say 80%, 90%. My first year was pretty good. I got into the finals in in my first year. And uh, Phil Carmen ran into Robert Dean and knocked him over and he was going to mark the ball. We'd have, we'd have played off in the grand final in my first year. Yeah, but th- year. they were still playing in the same side because Robert Dean was a fantastic will-of-the-wish young man on the yeah. half-forward flank and Carmen had come across the border from the Crow Eaters and just took the whole market by storm. Correct, yeah. Yeah. The How do I put this? It, it, I, my life ambition was to come back and, and coach Collingwood, but yeah. from finishing with West Adelaide, I was only coaching kids. I'd, I'd been out for five years. I should never have taken the job, but Collingwood were, to be honest, they were broke in those days. Yes. And they offered me £300 a week uh, to, to coach Collingwood. Yes. And I was renting a house in Lower Tempestow, and that was cost me $290. <laughs> so I'd finished, it cost me $2,000 to coach Collingwood for those two years. Good of me. And the truth is, and this is and we don't, uh, of your life, 
I rang Bill Cooper, who was kept my job open. He said, I'll keep it open for two years. If you stayed the third year of my contract, I wouldn't have had a job to go back to. So I rang Bill Cooper up from Cooper's Brewery, and I said, uh, I'll be back at the end of the year. Now, I never told that to anybody. I just kept yeah. that to myself because I said, it wasn't working. Uh, Ern Clark, and I've got to mention, he was the president. He sort of took over picking the side and the whole whole lot. And it was really it was downgrading to me, and I, I'm glad I got out of it at that, that, that's that time. That's just wonderful. Yeah. It's all about you now because you're just sounding great. And, uh, folks, in 1934, Australia snatched the ashes from England and Tobin Brothers' funerals began serving the community of Victoria. In the 80 years since Leo, Fonce, Tom and Kevin launched their fledgling funeral business, Tobin Brothers Funerals has served more than 228,000 families and become one of Australia's most respected and trusted funeral companies. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. I know you've got years and years to spend with your grandchildren, Murray, but now we have indelibly recorded forever some of the great moments of a legend of the game. And I want to thank you very much for taking the time today because as a young man, I just absolutely idolised you because you were captain of my side. And it's just been great to talk to you and I hope you have a fantastic time for the rest of your life. Thank you, Rex. It was a great thrill and I haven't done any interviews for a long time. Uh, probably about 10, 12 years. So this is a great thrill to finish my life. And this has been This Is Your Football Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers celebrating lives. And why don't you join us next week from 7.30 on a Sunday morning on 11.16 SEN when we delve into the past in some of the fascinating stories of our champions of the game.